I think I want to just start by telling you that I like sat-navs. <laughs> I do. I like them. I think the most wonderful, wonderful invention. Because before we had sat-navs or Google, Google Maps, which is what people use, isn't it? We had um, little books for every city, didn't we not? And they were called A to Z. A to Z. You see, you've got to be a certain age to know, even know that because the young ones go, duh. Yeah. Haven't there always been sat novs? No, there has not. So the thing is that when you had your A to Z, however we found our way through like London and Liverpool and Manchester, but we did. Yeah. We followed these little tiny roads, didn't we? And we, did we get there? Yes. We got there. But sat-navs, wonderful. Recently, we were in Israel a few weeks ago. We did not have a sat-nav because the other car had the sat-nav. But we were full of confidence that we would get there. Were we not, Rosie? Rosie was with me. And so we set off in, towards the Golan Heights going up. And, and one of our sisters used to live in Israel, so this was all we needed. We'll be fine. Did we get there? No, we had. We got quite lost, sort of wandering around these big mountains and things. And it was like, no, it's this way. And I was getting, because I'm like, let's go. But in the end, we did get there. And the most, most important thing is that we got there. But I was stressed a little bit about not having a sat-nav. It was a tricky thing. <laughs> so the last few days, I've been in Dublin. And... Um, we were not meant even to have a car because there were buses and things and we were going to bus places, but the buses proved very unreliable and we had a very, very long way to walk to get to this conference place, which was in a business park. So after we'd walked, I think the first day, four miles, I said, I'm done. I can't walk anymore. That's, that's just two miles there, two miles, I can't do it. Let's go and hire a car. Hired a car. So I inquired the price of a sat-nav, it was 36 euros. And I, 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 we were on a shoestring, sisters and brothers, and it was like, can't do that. But my uh, friend Emma said, but we've got Google Maps. Great, praise the Lord, we've got Google Maps. So whilst we were, through the next couple of days, we were getting everywhere absolutely marvelously. And then my friend went home, and I decided to stay an extra day and a half without a sat-nav and without any means of... However, I found a brother, I said, can you just train me up on how to use Google Maps? Got it, absolutely got it. But when I got into the car, it wouldn't work. Just wouldn't work, couldn't find a GPS, absolutely no way. So I'm leaving an accommodation, and I don't even know where the accommodation is because I didn't fix up the agreement, you know what I'm saying? I just drove, go left, go right, and I just do that. And I thought, well, how am I gonna get there? Well, the thing is, just to set off, isn't it? So I thought, well, I'll just go. I just prayed, what shall I do? Just go, I'll just go then, Lord. I don't know where I'm going. So I set off and got quite lost. And stopped and asked somebody, and he said, well, yes, you go straight on. That's what you do, you go straight on, then it's left, right, turn right, da, da, da. Well, it, I can't do that. I mean, some of you may have really good memories, I don't. So I can do the first instruction, after that, I'm finished. So I'm thinking, well, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I'll just have to trust you. So I'm waiting at the traffic lights as this guy just gives me these instructions, and suddenly there's a bang on the window. 
And he comes racing up, and wind down the window. He said, no, don't go that way, go that way. So the lights changed, so I suddenly go that way. And he'd run all the way up the traffic to tell me that he'd given, given me the wrong direction. So I went down this road, and suddenly in the distance, I saw something I recognized. Hallelujah, a water tower. I thought, I've seen that, saw that from the bus. I'm there. So I got there. Praise God. So the next thing that happened was we'd finished the conference and I was then due to drive to a f somebody's house. I didn't believe us. I just said, does anybody know anybody in Dublin who can put me up for one night because I've got no accommodation. I should have gone home. Got somebody and marvellous. I will be there at 10. So leaving the conference and then a lovely um, African brother said, uh, I I'm leaving. I'll take you. I can give you a lift into Dublin. Do you have Google Maps? Yes. Let's go. So we get there into the middle, drop him off. And then I said, can you just look at my phone and get this going? Because I've got to go a long way to my accommodation. Couldn't go. It just wouldn't go. It just wasn't going to work. So it's now it's raining, it's dark, and I'm late. And I don't know where I'm going. I've got no sat nav. So I'm thinking, well, God, I'll just have to just go and see if I can think of, of you know, get led. You know, because you can. It's not impossible. However, I got stuck in the, in the city centre. I don't know Dublin. I've never been there. And there's, you know, the one-way systems and all tricky. So I thought, no, I need a taxi man. That's what I need. I need a taxi to tell me what to do. So I stopped, asked this man who just dropped off a fare. He got his iPhone out and said, this is it. Oh, he said, it's very complicated. He's Asian, Afri um, Asian uh, taxi driver. And then I said, oh, I, I don't know what to do. I said, I can't. I would ask you to guide me, and I'll follow you in the car, but I've only got five euros. I haven't got any more money. So he said, ma'am, I will take you all the way, and I will not charge you a penny. And this lovely man, it was about a 20, 25-minute drive. And you know what? As we drove through the city centre, he slowed down when he thought he was losing me because of traffic. You know, he indicated well in time so I could get it. This lovely angel, Asian angel, absolutely. We went, oh, I would never have found my way. It was utterly complicated. So eventually we arrive in this very dark street in a suburb of uh, Dublin, very dark street. So the taxi driver gets out. I'm trying to gather all my things in my head and everything. We're an hour late by this time because I'd messed about. And then he said, I'm not leaving you here until we know exactly which house. So he walked up and down. I tell you what, folks, get a number on your house. If you have a house with a posh name, just get a number. Because it's very, very impractical for those of us who have no idea where we're going. We're walking. We knew it was number 17. Couldn't find it. And he walked up and down with me in the dark until he said, I think this is the one. He said, now, I'm not leaving you until you've phoned them and you've confirmed it's the right place. I'm going, <clears throat> excuse me, no, no, it's fine. I'll be absolutely fine. No, I'm not leaving you. So I phoned. Yes, they said they'd come down, let me in. And he said, I said, right, thank you very much. I'm saying goodbye. And can I, I can't give you anything, but thank you. And then he said, I'm not even going until I see you walking through the door. Do you see how God takes care of us? How dare we think that God is not going to take care of our needs? How dare we? How dare we get to that place where we stop knowing, knowing that he's going to take care of every bit of our needs?
I mean, how many mums have we got in this room? And fathers. We're full of mothers and fathers in this room. Which one of you ever said to their kids, or ever heard their kids say, well, I don't know if I'm going to get fed tonight. I might. Not very sure. We might get fed, but I'm really not sure about it. I mean, how, how terrible that would be. And how wrong. In our culture, I'm not saying that doesn't happen in other places in the world. But we give our kids good food, do we not? Or what food we have. And how do we doubt that our loving Heavenly Father would not give us all things? Because it says he will give us all things. And yet we doubt what's wrong with us. Well, it's called unbelief. Unbelief is just believing wrong things. So what we have to do is eject those things. And then the Lord began to speak to me about my fridge. It's not a happy experience looking in my fridge a lot of the time. I know. I should clear it out more. I know. However, God spoke to me very clearly one day, and he said, stop putting food that's decaying in the fridge. It's spiritual. And I'm going, ah, what do you mean? He said, you're putting things, you're storing things away that are decaying. Get rid of them. That's what he's saying to us. We try and eat things, spiritually speaking, that are decaying and full of microbes and all sorts of other junk. We do. And I am one for never throwing any food out. I ignore labels. When it says sell by, I completely ignore them. Yeah. And my husband, Robert, is like, no, well, that's half a day out, so we're not having that. And I, 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 my thing is, well, look, I've been doing it for all these years, and look at me how healthy I am. <laughs> I see a few nods. But there is a principle, isn't there? That if we, if we are willing to eat food that's full of bacteria and stuff, then we are going to get very, very ill. And we have to throw it out. So God really spoke to me, and I went through my fridge like a dose of salt, and I got rid of everything. And I'm incredibly inclined to just stretch things a bit. Do you know what I mean? Especially things like broccoli and spinach, which I love. I have a lot of spinach in my life and greens. And they go off very quickly, don't they? But I've learned that if you blitz them in one of those Nutri-Blitzes, you can, even when they're going, apart, according to scientists, they'll still be good. But not to eat live, as it were, because they're slimy and horrible, aren't they? <laughs> well, they are. So we've got to chuck stuff out that's not good for us. That was just the preamble. It's nothing to do with what I'm saying at all, actually, to be fair. But anyway, that was kind of where we are. But anyway, God is gathering a people from many nations, is he not? And what I want to kind of do is go out into a big picture to come back in to look at some very specific things. But before we do that, I feel a little prompt in my spirit to pray for Andy. Because, you know, Jesus never prayed for people. He commanded, sickness, he commanded sicknesses to go. So let's all stand up. Can we just do that now? And let's command sickness to come out. And let's all pray together 
and we'll do it in one voice and we'll do it now. In the name of Jesus, we come against every, don't do my prayer, do your prayer. I'm doing my prayer. We come against every infection in the name of Jesus and we command you, move out of our brother. You go now in the name of Jesus. You've got no right over our brother. You've got no authority over our brother. You back off in the name of Jesus. You set our brother free. Minister to him right now, Lord, from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. And we command healing to come in his frame. Encourage him right now in the name of Jesus, in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Right, we can sit down now. That was good. And actually, that's how we have to deal with the enemy, isn't it? I still haven't started. I mean, I'll never start the way we go, but this is the way we have to do it. And because we're a mature group and there are no strangers here, these aren't strangers at the back. This is Annette and Piotr, and they're absolutely gorgeous with their gorgeous baby, and I know them. And you know them too. Is that in my journey of getting rid and, and, and battling through where I am with um, an invasion of cancer, that's what it is, I've had to come up against the wire where when they say actually you're incurable and there's nothing we can do for you anymore, then you have to decide what it is that you believe. And it, he actually wants us to be in that place where we say there's nowhere else to go but you. Now do we believe his word? I tell you, don't you come to me telling me a compromised word because I'd, I'm chucking it out. Even if you ask me how I am, ask me how I am in the word of God and I'll tell you. I'm standing on it. It's my word. He gave it to me. He paid an enormous price for it. It's mine by right. It's in the atonement and it's for you. Every single one of you. And we take it as our right. And when we have that little voice, because I get it at three o'clock in the morning, well, what do you think you're doing? If only you'd taken chemotherapy, you might be well by now. Which, I'm not saying that's not anybody else's walk, because God can absolutely lead you through it and out the other side, but it wasn't me. It wasn't for me. But that voice will come. And I thought that it was me. But now I'm learning it is an enemy saying that to me. So now I'm saying, you shut up in the name of Jesus. You shut up and you get out of my head. And I've found that the more you do it, the less he comes. The word of God is what we stand on here. We stand on the word of God. Here's our beginning, is the end, and that's it. And when it says in Psalm 119, verse 89, your word, O God, is firmly fixed in heaven, it is firmly fixed in heaven. It's not moving. We have to move to it. He's not moving. It's fixed completely. It's done. It's activated. And what the enemy does is come and say, oh, well, you know, it's all right, but it might not work. And we have to d deal with that. The word of God is sure. The word of God is true. It doesn't mean to say that we're not going to have to go through to the wire and go through trials. And the hardest thing is when it's a member of our own family. Isn't it? Yeah. Very, very hard. Yeah. We can have far more faith for everybody else. 
But still we have to say, well, God, you're God. I'm going to trust you. Whatever happens, your word is secure in me. And that's it. And once you've made that decision, it gets a whole lot easier. You know, the stuff has to fall off constantly. I get as many attacks as everybody else. I'm near a year in, a year I've been like this, thinking, well, I thought I was going to be healed by now. But God is saying, you trust me. You keep going and you trust me to the end, whatever the end is. So that's it. And if we can say we believe the word of God, the trouble is we start compromising it and we start twisting it. Yeah, we do believe the word of God. Yeah, but da 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 We've got to get rid of the ifs and buts. Why? Because they're decaying food. We're storing them up. And if you store that up in your heart, it will come and destroy you. Much the same way as we know here in this house, that if you go, oh, well, the flu's about, I'm probably going to get it. You will get it. You'll be the first one to get it. Because you are confessing it. Oh, well, you know, it's so and so. Uh, the bug's going around. So we're all bound to get it. You're not bound to get it. You know, I can tell you that I am well and I'm not having sickness. I'm not having it. Whenever, you know, whenever, and I know we do this and we need to do it more and more when sickness comes, we've got to say no. And we have a mandate from the Lord. Yes, revival. But we have to make it now tell. What are we going to do in our lives if we don't know how to lick the enemy? What's going to happen then? We have to be those who already say, I've made my decision, I'm overcoming that enemy, and that's it. And we need help, don't we? That's why we fellowship and why we encourage one another loads. Because God is making this amazing bride ready, and we make ourselves ready. So I still haven't started, but I may never. Oh, Lord. Yeah. So I'm going to go out into a big view, then I'm coming back. So, God's gathering the people. The last time I spoke, I spoke about covenants. I don't know if anybody has any remembrance about that. The power of a covenant. That when we buy in and say to God, yes, I want a covenant with you, an agreement with you forever and ever, then all the benefits and all the attributes and the liabilities and the blessings of everything that God has done becomes ours. Have we got this? Is that all of it? Or some of it? It's all of it. Every bit is one for us, for you. You are not less than, you are more than. When we walk into a room, we are probably the only authority in that room. I'm not saying that arrogantly. If there's no other believers around, I'm saying. We have authority when we walk into a room. Because the power of God is with us. Light is with us. I can see Jesus in you. I hope you can see it in me, him in me. And that way, we have light and authority. And often as we're walking around, it's probably the only authority or the only presence of God that some people will come against in a while. We have responsibility then, do we not? To be light. And we must never be afraid when we come against a door that we've never been through before, never be afraid on what's what's on the other side. Why? Because we have authority over it. There's only God who has got authority over us. He's the highest authority. But he's decided to give us all his power and authority that we can walk in it. 
not waiting now. doesn't mean that the fullness is now, actually. That's what the Word of God says. And when we start to believe that, things start to happen. And we start to change. Because it's true. And when I was in, I haven't started, but I will in a minute. And so I'm in Dublin, right? And there was opportunities to go out in the streets. You know, I love going out in the streets because it's been in me from the day I was born again. God loves people. He breaks, you know, the compassionate heart. You know, you see people and you think, Lord God, you love these people. You love them. And they don't know you. And I, it says in your word, in many places, you know the scriptures as well as I do. We've got Mark 16, Matthew 10, 10. They're all out there. And Jesus healed them and changed them. But he, first of all, often healed them. So there was an opportunity to go out. Me, I got my hand up, I'll go. So I filled my car up with Africans. It was brilliant. <laughs> Off we went to this mall and um, just wandered around and blessed people and smiled and prayed. And the first day it was really good. I prayed for quite a lot of people and shared the gospel. It was really good. I got very encouraged, ever so encouraged. And then they went going out again the next day. Oh, great, I'm going out again. So the same little troop turned up and off we went. These young people were just amazing. And uh, they were just on fire for God. Right? So I'm saying to God right now then, Lord, what I'd like to see is somebody instantly healed. I know you don't need to do that, and mostly he doesn't. But I just asked him. The very first young man I walked up to, who was with his girlfriend, so I was just saying, well, I'm just here. Is there anything I can pray for you? And they just went, oh. And mostly they say, are you Catholic? You know, in them. Anyway, he didn't ask me that. And so I said, do you have any pain? Yes, he had a pain in his leg. So I said, well, can I pray for you? Because... Jesus can heal you. So he said, well, all right then. So they had a little discussion. Okay then. So I said, put your hand on the pain. And I put my hand on his hand. And I just commanded the pain to go. Nothing. So I thought, right, now what I'm learning is press in. Do not stop. We have authority over the enemy. He, it's him that does it, by the way. It's not us. We don't heal anybody, obviously. I put that in in case anyone's misconstruing what I'm saying. And then... I said, right, well, we're going to go in again. I'll pray again. Prayed again. And the man, the boy, was instantly healed. And he went, oh, the pain's gone. The pain's gone. The pain has gone. And it was like, my, and I was, I was as shocked. I'm, I'm trying not to look shocked. Well, you know, it just happens. But I was like, yay, God. And then I had a chance to share the gospel with him and his girlfriend. And he said, I've got so much to think about now that I've never thought of before. See? And I came back, oh, glory to God, I'm on a roll. So now I'm off going through the mall. And I was on my own, often I'm with somebody else, but on this, we were wandering around in eye shot of everybody. And I stopped a, a, a woman who was, I mean, I, have, I love nations. And if I can get hold of somebody who's from another nation, I seem to find them. So this lady was from um, Romania. Romanian lady, and um, she was a believer, I think. I mean, sometimes you don't know, do you? Um, maybe she was a religious Christian, but she knew about the power of Jesus. She knew Jesus was risen from the dead. We got there. And then she said she had a serious illness, which I can't remember, and celiac something condition. 
So I said, I'll pray for you then. So I'm praying for her. And then suddenly she just grabs me and hugs me. Says, that's the best thing that's happened to me all day. Isn't it amazing? See, I could have just gone and shopped or gone to McDonald's. No, I would never go to McDonald's. <laughs> I could have gone to Costa and had a coffee or something. But how amazing that we can go past people and give light. We're supposed to give light. But before we can give light, we have to know we're light. Some of us think we're like little dim tea candles, you know, the little one lights. No, we're bright, massive searchlights. I mean, sometimes you walk in places and it's the demons that kick off. Anybody ever had that experience? Well, you will have. Because the more we shine, the more they'll turn up. And there's people who just even don't want to look at us or even talk to us. Well, it's, it's demons. And so I had just had the joy of praying for lots of people, loads of people. That was just incredible. And I was really encouraged. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to keep doing what it says in the Word of God. I want to talk to you about a group of people that you maybe don't know about. So now I'm in it. I'm about to enter the message now, <laughs> probably. So there is a group of people that God is looking for, right? Now, when we say the whole house of Israel, I wonder what's in your mind. You know, what comes into your mind that God is want to, wanting to save the whole house of Israel? Maybe you think, well, it's just in Israel, the saving Israel. But you know, and I'm just going to do this really quickly, a real romp, that in Israel, there's only Judah there. Now, why I'm saying that? Right, okay, let's just go very quickly through the scriptures. We'll pray see them for quickness. So God had a plan through Jacob Right, Jacob's name became Israel. Why? Because God had got the plan. Out of Jacob came the twelve, yes? And the twelve were saved because they were saved in Egypt where they grew and multiplied and got into a lot of trouble with Pharaoh. So now they're big, there's a lot of them, and Pharaoh's now clamping down. Now they became oppressed. It's a principle, that's another whole message, but yes. The enemy likes to oppress those who are walking in God's plan, which is why we've got to fight. We've got to know who we are and fight, and God will be great in our midst. So then they're in Egypt, and then something amazing happened, because suddenly they started to cry out. They started to cry out, and it's that. The moment we start to cry out, he hears us, is listening for that cry. And we can be in the biggest mess and we do not. We try and figure it out. And he's waiting for the God help me moment. Is there anybody in this room who's never had this moment? I don't believe you. Because we have to cry out to him and that's what happened. And then God formulated this amazing plan. So they were about to go out. God had the plan. You know the story. We don't need to go through it. We just had Passover. Incredible story. And there had to be a lamb. There's the lamb. There's the plan. There's the ambush. A lamb. And so they're going out. Probably, they say, about four and a half million. Something like that. That was what I read. I don't know. A lot of people. So they came out at midnight or dark when the spirit of death was going through Egypt and killing everybody, the firstborn. So they're on their way, they're coming out. And now all the enemies are coming behind them. Know that whenever we do the first thing for God, 
the enemies will be behind us. Get ready, folks. It's never going to stop, but we have to know what to do. Cry out to God. So there they are against the Red Sea. Right. And of course, they're crying out to God. Moses, what? We're stuck. We are ambushed. We can't go back and we can't go forward. And it's like Moses. Oh, bless Moses. I mean, what a fella. I mean, really. What have you got in your hand, Moses? I've got a staff. Well, hold it up. And the biggest miracle, the sea parted. Isn't that amazing? And it's still night. Can you see how terrifying that would be? Night. And they've now got to walk through mud, probably. But it says they went through on dry ground. They went through. And they went through for hours. It wasn't like a quick trip across a ditch. It took hours to walk through. But God had got the plan. And then the Egyptians are thundering behind them, but God had got the ambush for them. And in their arrogance, when they saw the sea open, they thought, well, we can just go through. We are the Egyptians. We're going. And off they went. And God had got the ambush. Bam! Sea dead. Can't we see, can't you see, folks, that's exactly what God's going to do every time that we are stuck, not sure what to do, he's going to formulate an ambush for the enemy. And that's what the scripture says. Totally, utterly destroy the enemy on our account for us because he loves us. And that's it. So then they're through and then they've got this 40 years wandering about stuff going on, which is wonderful. And the whole idea is he wants to get them in the land. So just a quick review of the covenant. So God said there are conditional covenants where if you do this, but if you do this, bad news. But if you do this, all the blessings. And then non-conditional where it says, I will just do it anyway. This is my land and I will do it. It's not conditional on anybody else. Like, for example, he said, uh, the rainbow will always be in the sky after the time of Noah. I will never flood the earth again. That is a, no conditions to that. I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. That's it. So they started to occupy the land and go in. And many, many things happened. And they had to be trained because they came out as non-fighting people. They had no idea what they were doing. They'd been slaves, for goodness sake, for 400 years, all that time. No practice. So they had to learn how to overcome and fight. And it was, you can read the whole wonderful stories of how right through the scriptures they struggled and blah, 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 it was a whole mess. In the end, God wants to get them in their land, to give them a portion of the land. So eventually they get their land portioned out. It took a lot of time and some of them didn't make a very good job of it. Some of them did not destroy the enemies and the enemies were a thorn in their flesh continually. Another lesson for us. If you're going to deal with an enemy, deal with it. Deal with him. Deal with the, if there's a baby problem, you know, I'm not talking about real babies, I'm talking about a small problem. Deal with it while it's small. Yeah. Don't wait till it gets overwhelming and then decide to go and ask somebody, can you just pray with me, please? Go for it when it's in its infancy and cut its head off right. and keep going. And I've just learnt a huge lesson really over the last three months that if, if I keep going in, against the powers of darkness, they back off. Is that scripture? Resist the enemy and he will? Yeah. 
from everybody. Not just, you know, a few people. Everybody. And that's what he's going to do. So the children of Israel did not do that. I don't know why they call them the children of Israel. When I do schools, I can't say that because they think they're all like eight-year-olds going in. And I had to go, no, they were adults. You said the children of Israel. So I can't say that, but you know what I mean. So they're in the land. And there were some of the tribes that didn't do a very good job. Like, for example, there was the tribe of Ephraim that did not destroy some of their enemies quickly. And you can read all about this in Joshua and Judges. It's all in there. So eventually, they're kind of in the land. Some of them have done better than others. And time moves on. We now whiz on right through history to somewhere near Solomon where there is a bit of infighting between the tribes. So now, the 12 tribes start to have a bit of a problem. So the ten, there's 10 of them up there in the northern tribes, right? And there's the southern tribes. Now, the southern tribes, as you know, will be Judah, Benjamin, and Levi. He's kind of in there with them. And the 10 are the others, of which you know who they are. There's Asher and Naphtali and all the rest of them. And because of the difficulties they had, there became a split between the two. And the northern tribes fell into horrible idolatry. I mean, really bad idolatry. Terrible stuff. You know, killing their own children, eating them. We won't talk about that. But um, terrible idolatry. And then God reminded them through the prophets, if you do this, I will do this. I will throw you out of the land if you do this. And that's exactly what he did. In the year 722, he drove them out of the land. The Assyrians came and took them away. And they were gone. As far as we're concerned, they never came back. But we have to get the the terminology right, because when you read in the word of God, Israel, it's also got another meaning. So the southern tribes then got banded into just one word, Judah, although they were Benjamin, and they were bits of Levi as well, technically. And then the northern lot merged in So it was Ephraim that was the dominant tribe. So it's now called Ephraim. Or now called Israel. Not Judah. So now we've got Judah and Israel. And you can read all this in the Word. You don't need me to go over it. There's Judah and Israel. There's the land of Judah and there's the land of Samaria, where the ten were. Yeah. So these two distinct lands. So God threw them out. And then about 125 years later... Judah was thrown out the land because of the warnings that were coming. Coming through Isaiah and Jeremiah, huge warnings. You've got to go, especially Jeremiah. You have to go out. If you don't go out, you'll be destroyed. It is the plan of God to get you out because God needed to deal with them. So eventually, the Babylonians, we know the history, took off Judah and Benjamin and that their tribe. Off they went into captivity for a further years, 70 years. And then God had got the plan to call them back, which is amazing, isn't it? When you think of of Nehemiah and Ezra and the call to rebuild and to come back, the call came, the call came to come back, come back. And they came. And we know now in physical Israel that there are many, many people coming back. Judah has come back. Now, the interesting thing is that it says in the book of Hosea, which we're going to have the biggest romp through of your life. So you can find the book of Hosea, and we will speed through it. It's not an easy one to find. 
I'm sure you will. Right, are we there? Okay, so we're just going to run through lots and lots of the verses. So just because for speed, keep in your mind then that God was, was speaking through Jeremiah 31 about a, a new covenant with the house of Judah and the house of Israel. He was already speaking about that. Uh, Micah speaks about it. It's all over the place. You can just read it. So we're just going to come in um, Hosea 1. Now my version might be slightly different from yours because it's from a, a Hebrew translation, but the gist will be the same. So I'm going to come in halfway down through... I'm going to go from six. Okay. It's talking about Hosea, who, who was told to go and get a wife who was a prostitute. So it's not a, a good beginning. So he said, and he said to him, Name her Loru Hamar, for no longer will I have compassion on the house of Israel that I should ever pardon them, but on the house of Judah I will have compassion and deliver them by Adonai their God, yet not by bow, sword, or battle, not by horses or horsemen. So God's giving the promise that he's going to deal with them. Then it goes, just chapter, go to chapter 2 and verse 2. Then the descendants of Judah and the descendants of Israel will be gathered together, and they will appoint themselves one head. That head is Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, prophesied. 2-2. Two, two. My, my numbering might be different to you. Oh. Well, if you find a verse close by where it says, then the descendants of Judah, is it? I don't know what the, sorry, I don't know what the numbering is. Is it? Okay, thank you. Sorry about that. It's just the book I'm using at the moment, which means the rest of them might be out, but never mind, we'll keep going. So God is then showing us by scripture, because I don't want you to believe me, believe the scripture. Um, right now we're going to um, go to Hosea 4 I'm really going very fast in my Bible it's 15 it says though you Israel are a prostitute let Judah not become guilty but do not come to Gilgal or go up to Bethaven and do not swear as the Lord lives for Israel is stubborn like a stubborn cow now Adonai will pasture them and, like a lamb in the open field. Ephraim is adjoined to idols. Let him alone. Their liquor has come to an end, etc. So what I want is just to see that in the word of God, it's talking about Ephraim, generically being the ten, or Israel. Those names are interchangeable. We've got to get that in our heads. When you read Israel in the Bible, it does not mean the people in Israel. It doesn't mean that. It's just Judah. That's all there is. There's nobody else at the moment. So let's just keep moving. Um, I'm just going to go to, yeah, 6, Hosea 6. It says in, Isaac, in Hosea 6, verse 1, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He's smitten, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will raise us up, and we will live in his presence. So that's a prophetic thing about Messiah coming. Of course it is. So we're moving on. 
Let's go to the end, the last verses of chapter 6. For me, it's um, verse 10, it might not be. It says, in the house of Israel, I've seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's prostitution is there. Israel has become unclean. Also, Judah, there is a harvest for you when I return my people from captivity. See? Speaking prophetically about what God is going to do. We don't do it, he does it. Amen. And then in uh, chapter 8, let's just quick whiz from verse 1. Put a shofar to your mouth. Like a vulture he comes against the house of the Lord. For they overstepped my covenant and transgressed my Torah. Will they cry out to me? My God, we, Israel, knew you. Israel has rejected goodness and adversary will pursue him. So when we read that verse, it's very clear, isn't it, then whom we're talking about, the two groups of people. And there's loads of others. And then, let me just see if I can go on a bit. Yes, so now coming to uh, Hosea 12, where it's Ephraim, it says in verse 1, Hosea 12, Ephraim surrounded me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. That's the same group. Though Judah roams restlessly with God, yet he's faithful with holy things. So we know that Judah stayed faithful longer, right? And then they were rejected and then they got wise and came back and God received them and renewed because the covenant was already set. So it continues, the histories are there and then I'm going to go to 14, the last chapter. So now it talks about, at the beginning of verse 1, Samaria will bear her guilt. That's the area where they lived, the ten. For she has rebelled against her God, etc., etc. Verse 2, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled in your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, Take away all iniquity and accept what is good, so we may repay with offerings of our lips. And then it goes down at five. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger will turn away from him. I will be like dew for Israel. He will blossom like a lily and thrust out his roots like Lebanon. His tender shoots will spread out. His beauty will be like an olive tree, and his fragrance will be like Lebanon. Those dwelling in his shadow will return. It's wonderful. So when it's talking about Ephraim, he says, Ephraim, my son, I long for you, it says in one of the scriptures. I yearn for you, I long for you. And God's heart is yearning for them. And that's the book of Hosea. You can also read that in Jeremiah 31, the two covenants. And Ezekiel 37. We don't need to go to it, 36 and 37. I've just brought me visual aid because I thought you might like it. Two sticks. Do you know where it says the two sticks will be joined? Well, they're not joined at the moment. They're like this. See? But we know that Judah, who's down here, and Ephraim, will one day be joined because it says so. All right. Now, we're coming on to the, the meat of it. Now, the thing is, what is Judah? What are the Jews thinking about this? Well, they know these scriptures. And they know that the Messiah is not coming. Well, we know he's coming again. But they say he's not coming until they return. The tribes return. Those lawns, Ephraim, Israel, returns. They know that. And they have a rabbi appointed to go and search through the whole of the nations and find them. 
Just tell me somebody then. Who was the book of James written to? Come on, James 1, you know this. Come on, what does it say? Oh, come on, somebody. Beginning of James. Written to... Come on, I'm going to make you look. Verse 1. And we'll see if your translation's any cop. So the book of James, verse 1. Thank you. It's to the 12 tribes in the diaspora. Oh, oh, hang on a minute, James. I thought they'd already gone. Oh, well. They knew where they were. Not literally, but they knew they were out there somewhere. And he was writing to them. And it also says in John, I think, 7. Let me just go there quickly. Which is an interesting little bit. Yes, that's it. So I'm in John 7. In my Bible, it's verse 33. It might not be in yours. And it says, and Yeshua said, I'm with you only a little while longer. And then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. And the Judean leaders then said among themselves, where is this person about to go that we shall not find him? He's not going to the diaspora, is he? To teach the Greeks. In other words, he's not going to the lost ones, is he? I mean, they thought, they know. They know. Right. So now we're going to look at a little bit of a DVD by a guy called Simka. Just let me quote his name exactly. I've forgotten it. Um, I've still forgotten it. It's not coming. His first name is called Simcha. He's not born again. He's a Jew. And this is just, I wouldn't risk showing this anywhere else but here because you understand what I'm saying. The last time I spoke about this in a large conference in Wales, they never asked me again. <laughs> because it's controversial and I want to say why. Do not look this up on the internet and look a lot of, of the ten tribes lost Ephraimites. Rubbish. Stick to the word. The word we've just read has told us all we need to know because men have interfered with it, as you know, and there came a movement, oh, well, we're the Ephraimites, and da, da, da. it's rubbish, it's false, it's not for you, it's not for me. The word of God is the word of God. This is why nobody will teach it because it's been misused. But I love the word of God. I love this, and we're going to have it. So the Jews, it's from a big DVD. It's about an hour and a half. But I've given it to Heidi and, and Andy to look at, just for some information. So here are little snippets of this um, investigation. Okay, we'll go. That's it. Just to give a few kind of... I want to just give you facts. These are the facts. And it's a pretty well-researched piece of um, history. Um, that they've done. But you'll notice that when the tribes come in, they baptize them, if you like, mikvah them, because they have mikvahs. You know, baptism came from the word to, to mikvah, to go under, uh, under the water, that they mikvah them into Judah. But they're not Judah. Can you see it? So it's wrong. Something's not right yet. But they're beginning to see now that these guys are saying, well, we're not Judah. We never were. And it's sort of getting interesting. In 1976, when I first went to Israel, I was in Galilee, and I met a whole bunch of people that seemed as if they were kind of like, um, I don't know, maybe they were workers from another, you know, region or of the world or whatever. They looked like Burmese people. Um, but they were wearing kippahs, so I thought, well, they must be 
you know, they must be Jews. But I didn't know that they were the first ones who were coming from the tribe of Menashe. Because <coughs> Rosie and I, I don't know how long it goes when we went to India, up into Meghalaya. I travel with Rosie a lot through the nations. And we were very close by to the Menashe tribe, very close. And we went to a meeting where there was a, some of the members of, of their community, if you like. And they had been so remote that they hadn't lost their stuff, if you see what I mean. And now they're making Aliyah, which means going up, they're making Aliyah to Israel. So why does this matter to us? It only matters because God has got the plan. And we don't have to do anything, but we watch and wait and pray. And there's also a theme in scripture about Ephraim being the watchers, which is a whole other thing, just to turn the page and give you a few snippets, is that a lot of these lost tribes became or were blossoming in centers where the Bible actually came to life, interestingly enough. And so there is a thought that maybe, hey, lots of Christians are ancestrally. Don't shout this out and say, this is the theology we think here. I'm just telling you what is said that there are many Christians who do maybe have some ancestral link, not to Judah, but to Israel. Because they're going to come back. And they're coming back. And there's thousands of them coming back. Isn't it interesting? So where are we? Identity. Know who we are. We have a part to play in speaking truth, of being the truth. And we have a part in, in the, the biggest miracle. I mean, that would be a huge miracle. We believe in miracles. It used to say, does it still say it? We believe in miracles. Expect a miracle. We believe in miracles. The biggest miracle of earth was that we all got saved. Say, oh, I've never seen a miracle. Well, of course you have. You got saved, goodness sake. Isn't that a miracle? It's It's the biggest miracle I ever got saved, I tell you. So, you know, it's amazing that we were in the kingdom of darkness. We had another master that whipped us and hurt us and was cruel and drove us. And then we exchanged him for another master who loves us and equips us and fills us. And we have a part to play in the end time plan. We. So when we know who the whole house of Israel is, it's us, it's them, it's the lost ones, it's Judah. And in the end, when we all get together in heaven, we shan't care who we are and we shan't know, probably. And that's where we're heading, because we'll just see our hearts. But unless we know our heart and know who we are, we can't really communicate who really the Lord is. I think I've said enough. I hope that was interesting. And let's be encouraged that we have a tremendous destiny in him. Which is why the devil would like to steal it off you. I know he's tried to kill me off. He's probably trying to kill you off too. So get yourself guarded and know that you have authority over every power of darkness because it says so. And therefore we can say that we will walk into our destiny. We will walk into our destiny. And we can take the scriptures and say, I can say, I am healed. By faith I can say it, see? I can say, well, I might be or I could be. I can't say that. I'm deciding what the truth is. Let's all decide together what the truth is and get out there and speak it and believe it and live it. Amen. Amen.